0: You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're our Father. Thank you that you have shown us everlasting love through Christ. And Lord, we just ask that even in the message now that your name would be hallowed, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. That you would be lifted up, that this would be about you, not about us, not about me, but about you, Lord. And as we look at the great privilege of prayer, I just pray that you would give us understanding. Fill me with your spirit so that I preach faithfully and effectively what you have for us today. We love you so much, Lord. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I mentioned, last week we began this series called Habits of grace. And we're looking at the three time tested pathways of prayer, the word, and fellowship. Okay. And last week we had the privilege of being in Matthew 4, just a few chapters back. And we saw how Jesus um, actually led us out of slavery, um, similar to Egypt. Okay. He, he led us out of the slavery of sin. He led us through the wilderness of this life, and He's going to lead us into the promised land one day. Um, we looked at that a little bit, but then we focused on how Jesus used the word of God. Um, as a priority in his life and so so we um, had a good time with that and I told you last week not to be overwhelmed because I gave you like four or five different tips on how to get in the word and it was like a lot and if you try to do it all at once you're like the guy who goes to the gym and just kills it and then he's sore for two weeks and he's good for nothing and so we don't want you to feel that way with these these different methods that we're talking about this in this series but I do want you to get started get started with something. And so last week I challenged you, just try um, for every day, just try five to 10 minutes a day to just start to read through a book of the Bible. And I think you'll be amazed at what the Lord does with that small little habit that you implement in your life. And so we we looked at Christ's use of the word last week. Today we're going to look at his use of prayer and how he was a man of prayer. But before we get started, I just want to ask you a question. How many of you sometimes struggle with consistent prayer? Go ahead, raise your hand. Okay. All right, look around. Keep your hands up. Let's look around, okay? All right, you don't, you don't have to lie. God's not like, we haven't talked in weeks. What do you mean? Like, you don't have to lie. He knows, right? Okay, so I wanted you to see that because first of all, it shows us that this is a struggle, right? And we all struggle with it. Um, and it's probably due to the fact that there's spiritual warfare mixed in. Satan doesn't want us to pray. And so there's, it's weird, right, that we can watch a movie and just be glued to it. And I mean, just watch it for two hours straight and be like, oh, I wish it... Was, was longer and then we start to pray and in like 20 seconds we're out, right? It's, it's weird that that happens, but I think there is a, a warfare dynamic there. But I also wanted you to see um, that you're not alone in the struggle. that it's common that we all struggle with it, okay? We are human. And so I'm not going to pretend like I have some magic bullet for you today, all right, that's going to take away all your problems with prayer. But I do want to give you a really practical um, help today from the Word of God that I think will help you Um, build a more consistent prayer life, okay? So that's kind of what we're going to be focusing on. And I think what's interesting when you study the life of Jesus is that he did a lot of amazing things. I think we can agree um, to that. Uh, Obviously, the the biggest was the fact that he, he took our sins of the cross. He paid for them completely. He was buried. Everybody lost hope. And yet three days later, he rose triumphantly to conquer death, hell, and the grave. And he offered salvation to anyone who will turn and trust in him. Um that's an amazing reality. Um but besides that, he did do a lot of things in his life. He he um let's see, I have a list here. Um I was like, which ones do I write down, right? Cuz there's so many. He healed the lame, he gave sight to the blind, he fed thousands of people with a lunchable, right? Um <laughs> what, and what's interesting is as as we could keep going, um but I'm looking at the time I'm like we, we're not going to okay. But what, what's interesting is that we don't have any records in the gospels where his disciples were like, "Jesus, can you teach us how to feed thousands of people with a Lunchable? Right? Like we don't have those questions like Jesus, can you show us how to give sight to the blind? Like they didn't ask that. We just, I mean, they might've, but we don't have a record of it. But what's really interesting is we do have record of them coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? In Luke 11, 1, it says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And, you know, I, I think what's interesting about that is that the disciples could look at Jesus and they could see this inseparable link between the power that he had and his prayer life. I think if, if they were to look at Jesus and say, yes, he's God in the flesh and, and they didn't fully understand all of that. But what they could look at Jesus and, and they could say, it's got to be his prayer life. We've got to learn to pray like Jesus. That's that's what stood out to his disciples. Okay, and, and I'm sure the other things stood out too, but they didn't ask about that. They said, Lord, can you teach us to pray? And what's awesome is that he does, and then they wrote it down, so he's teaching us to pray as well. Okay, and so, so what I, I want to do is I want to look at how he taught his disciples to pray with the famous model prayer here in Matthew 6. Now, in Luke 11, he, he gives a very similar one, but we're going to look at the more... Um, the, the more one that we're, we're more familiar with. That's the word I was looking for, familiar. All right. Um, and, and I want you to hear a few verses before we jump in. In Mark 14:23, it says, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Then in Mark 135, it says, in rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And then in Luke 5, 16, it says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And so we have this record that Jesus was a man of prayer and that his disciples saw it. I mean, in in Mark, I've always been fascinated that he rose a great while before day while it was still dark. Like some of us will do that for the things we care about. If you're a hunter in here, right, you'll get up real early. Well, it's still dark, and you'll go, and you'll get ready to hunt. If you are a lady, maybe it's Black Friday shopping. You'll get up real early for that, okay? I don't know, okay, um, you, can, you can fill in the lady's part there. But you get my point. We get up early when we care about it, right? And Jesus got up early, but, but here's, here's the part that really blew my mind a few years ago when I was reading it. The night before, it says the whole village was at his door, and he was healing mir- and doing all these miracles and, and all these things. And, it, and they were there until like evening time. So he had a really busy late night the night before. But the next day he got up early because he knew he needed to spend time with his father, father because that's where the power was going to come from. And so I want us to learn from Jesus here to be people of prayer. Imagine what would happen in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our church, in our, in our country if we would devote ourselves to prayer. And so I want to look at prayer today in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. It says this, Jesus says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Or as a good Baptist would say, amen, right? Um, so that, that's the model prayer, right? And I, and I want you to notice what he says. He says, after this manner, pray this or pray like this. But he doesn't actually command us to pray this prayer in some Um, vain, repetitious way. Um, In fact, right before that, he says, don't be like that where you're offering up vain repetition. So this isn't some magical chant that we chant and and that God's blessings flow. This is a model for us to learn how to pray. And what's interesting, and as I was studying this, I noticed that many different scholars pointed this out. So um, uh, this is one of those things where I don't know who to give credit to it, but the first person who kind of saw it, um, everybody else has stolen it, okay? And so if you look at this prayer, Um, There's actually one address, our Father who's in heaven, and then there are six petitions. And what's interesting about the petitions is the first three all link to God. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's all about God. They're high and they're lofty and they're powerful prayers. But then the, the last three petitions are kind of like mundane and simple and boring. Give us our bread. Forgive us. Help for us not to fall into temptation. Like the, it's, it's like these high up prayers over here. And then there's just these normal everyday prayers over here. And, and I think that that kind of helps us understand um, the way we pray is the way we live, right? There's big moments in the life and then there's little small moments. And God's there during all of it. I love what John Piper says. He says, there is a correspondence between the content of the prayer and the content of our lives the big and the little, the glorious and the common, the majestic and the mundane, the lofty and the lowly. And that's what we see in this prayer. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through it today and I want to to go briefly and then we're going to end with some quick application points. Okay. So the first thing we see is the address where he says our father in heaven, our father in heaven. Now, again, we see another contrast here um, in that we see awe in heaven But we also see intimacy, our Father. Right? With our Father, we think near, we think close. We think someone we can go to at any time, He's our Father. But then in heaven, we think transcendent and glorious and and mighty. And what's awesome to think is that the God who rules the universe by the word of His power, who is absolutely in control of everything that takes place, He's in heaven, He's glorious, He's transcendent, He's also near. And He's Father. And the God who has a plan for every little thing in the universe, every person in the universe, has a very specific plan for you. And He's your Father. He wants to help you through it. Now, if that doesn't just blow your mind with excitement, I don't know what will. That the God of the universe is your Father, if you're a Christian today, if you're a believer. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ, and we can call Him Father. That's an amazing reality. And so that's the address. And then we come into the petitions, okay? And so um, that's why I had the font so small on there so you could see it all, okay? So we have those first three petitions that we're gonna walk through. And again, these are kind of big and lofty and and mighty. And sometimes, if we're honest, they don't really hit home for us because they don't really kind of help us in our everyday life, at least we don't think. But I wanna show you that's not the case um, after we walk through them, okay? So the first one is hallowed. Be thy name now to hallow means to set apart or to dedicate as holy, okay so as God's children, we want our father's name, which again in Bible times the name had had to do with the person, okay so the name was the person. so we want God to be esteemed, reverenced, made holy, dedicated, consecrated, valued, treasured, glorified. okay And so what we see in this prayer is that Jesus is actually putting his finger on the purpose for which we exist and everything exists. That the name of God, that God himself would be glorified and honored in our lives. What a way to start your day. Father, would you you hallow your name today? Would you glorify your name in my life today? And in the lives of my family and in this neighborhood and in this town and in our church, God? Be glorified, be lifted up. We preached on this a few weeks ago. We exist to spread a passion for the glory of Jesus, right? That's, that's what we're here for, the glory of Jesus. And so when we start our prayer with God, hallow your name, we're saying be glorified. Spread a passion for your glory in my life and the lives of others. That's the first one. Next, thy kingdom come. Now, the kingdom of God is actually um, a massive theme in the Bible, and, and I would actually argue it's the theme of the Bible, like, if, if you had to pick one theme of the Bible, I would say it's the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God. Okay? And, and so you see God's people and God's place under God's rule in the garden, and everything's perfect. And then what do they do? They rebel against God's rule. They say, we want to do it our way. And, and it wreaks havoc and sin into the world. And, and what he does, he promises that someone's going to come and, and he's going to conquer Satan. And, and, and that takes us all the way to Christ. Um, who is that person who ushers in the rule and reign of God. And he, and he teaches us to pray that God's rule and reign would be manifested in the world. Okay, so again, this, well, what does this mean? Well, let me kind of bring this down a little bit um, simpler for you. With this request, we're asking God to push back the darkness. You know why our world is broken today? Because we rebelled against God as our king. We said we want to do it our way. But when we ask God, we want your kingdom to come. You're a good ruler. And when, when you are in your proper place, things are in order. Things are good. We, we push back the darkness, the brokenness, the evil. We ask God to usher in his kingdom. But not only that, we're, we're praying evangelistic prayers with this prayer. We're saying, God, as a Christian, my eyes have been opened to the gospel, and I believe and you're the Lord of my life. But God, would you do that for my friends and my coworkers and my neighbors? Would you be their king? Would you open their eyes so that they would turn to you and trust you as Savior and Lord? It's an evangelistic prayer. Okay, but we're also, it's a prayer full of hope. Because God has promised that his kingdom will come in all of its fullness. He will usher in the new heaven and the new earth. And there'll be no more pain and no more sadness and no more darkness. And so when we say, God, we're praying your kingdom come. We're saying, bring it to a close, Lord. Finish your glorious purposes for this world. We want to see you. As Josh talked about last week, we want you to open that scroll and to bring in the end and to make all wrongs right. God, we look forward to that glorious day when your kingdom does come in all of its fullness. But Right here, there's an already but not yet aspect to the kingdom of God. He is ruling in our hearts. If you're a believer today, he's ruling in your heart. He's your Lord. He rules you through his word. But... He's not ruling in every aspect of society um, from from ways that we can see, right? There's people who are rebelling against his his rule. And so we're praying that his rule would usher in and push back the darkness. And and that brings us right to the next one where he says, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. What he's saying here, um, because we have to to step back and, and understand something really quick, that God's purposes will not be thwarted. Okay, and I say this all the time, it may look like things are out of control, but God is in control. Okay, so it's not, it's not some prayer like, man, your will's not being done, and, and oh, what are we going to do if you don't step in? And, and It's not so much like that, it's saying the revealed will of God as, as given to us in the scriptures. Okay, Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine says, the secret things belong to the Lord. Okay, so he has a secret will and he's accomplishing it and it's going to happen no matter what. And he's given us glimpses of what that is. He is going to return. He is going to make every wrong right. He is going to judge the wicked and bring us into everlasting life. Okay, so that is going to happen. But when we say, God, let your will be done, we're saying your revealed will in scripture. The people just seem to disrespect. People just don't seem to care. And you know where this starts? In our hearts. God, would your will be done in my life today? Would you rule and reign as a good king in my life today? And would you give me the grace to obey, to submit? In heaven, things are are happening exactly according to your revealed will and all its fullness. And and the angels come and do whatever you want them to do. And and the saints who are there are are there praising your name. And that's, that's what we want on earth. A little glimpse of that in our church, in our home, in our family, in our, in our marriages, in our lives, that his will would be done, not our will, his will, because his will is good. And I always say this, that the commands in scripture are commands for your joy. So you're stepping into further joy when you say, God, your will be done in my life, because he's a good God. And, and we see in the very beginning that he was for us. Man, they had everything, a garden and, and marriage and, and things were great and, and it was awesome and they had this relationship with God and the moment they rebelled thinking this is where fun is, this is where pleasure is, this is where goodness is, everything fell apart. And, and those of you who've, who've been a Christian for any length of time, you can look back at your life and you can see the times where you said my will be done instead of thy will and you see the, the damage that it caused, right? I'm not that old, but I can see it in my life. How often did I look back and see, man, that's where I chose my will instead of his will. And so we're praying, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And then we get to the nitty gritty. Okay, so let me just back up really quick. When he says, hallowed be thy name, we're saying, God, be glorified in my life, in the lives of others. When we say, thy kingdom come, we're saying, Jesus, rule and reign as a good king. All right, so Kanye West helped us out here a little bit with that album, Jesus is King. Okay, some of you that went right over you. Some of you are like, oh, okay, I see what you did there. Um, I'm not necessarily saying anything about Kanye. I'm just saying Jesus really is king. That's true, okay? Okay, so when we say thy kingdom come, we're saying, Jesus, you're the good, glorious king. Rule and reign. Usher in the rule and reign of God. When we say your will be done, we're saying, God, would you have your will done in my life? Would you give me the grace to submit to it and to obey and to, for me to step into fullness of life? Okay, so they're big and they're glorious and they're lofty, and in a way, what we do is we skip these, right? And we jump right into God. I need bread, God. My bills. How oh, am I going to pay my bills? God, would you forgive me? God, uh, God, I just I need your help with this. God, I, I seem to keep stumbling into sin and temptation, and we want to go there, but what happens is it shrinks us. Okay, I quoted John Piper earlier. Um, he, in this, in this sermon, and I, and I read and studied, and, and, and honestly, there's so many people that I need to give credit to for this sermon, but I can't even begin to. But, but John Piper's sermon on this text is great, if you want to look it up. But he says what we do is we tend to attack those small things first, and it shrinks us down. And all we can see is the bills. And all we can see is the relational problems. And all we can see is the, is the temptations in our life and the struggles. And, and if we'll back up, And we'll say, God, would you be glorified through this financial struggle? Would your kingdom come and your will be done through this relational conflict that I'm having? God, I don't know why I got this news from the doctor. But I know that you're a good God and you're in control and that you can use this for your glory. And that you have a purpose in this and that you've promised that all things work together for good. What what Jesus does here is he gives us an indirect attack to these little problems by, by pulling us back and letting us focus on the big and the majestic and the lofty. And so if you'll start your day and you'll pray through this, man, it'll, it'll kind of put some weight in your boat, right? When you pray, God be glorified, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Those are big lofty prayers to, to start your day with. And then when you do run into trouble and you don't have bread or you don't have food or there's, there's more month left than there is money, right? When that happens, We can pause and say, God is in control. He's got this. It anchors us, okay? So so those prayers do have relevance to our life, even if sometimes you don't feel it. God's a good God, and Jesus taught us to pray this way, so let's pray this way. But don't neglect those others. He also teaches us the next three, so let's look at them. Give us this day our daily bread. Ask for your physical needs. Notice it doesn't say, give us this day our daily prime rib, okay? Okay? Okay, just the basics. all right. We don't need to be rich. okay? It's not a sin to be rich, but we don't need to be rich. So we're praying for needs. God, would you supply my needs? And another thing to notice is that these three actually anchor um, or actually uphold or help accomplish the first three. Like, right? We, we want to live with those glorious purposes, but our feet are still on the ground and we still need bread. And, and, and sometimes I joke about this, but sometimes we feel like, oh, we're so spiritually dry and I just don't have this desire to pray and I don't have this desire to be in the word and and and, oh god what's going on and it's like eat a sandwich right that that helps a lot of things take a nap right have a Snickers bar I think someone mentioned that last week in the prayer you're not yourself right when you're hungry okay we do need bread we we do need physical things I I talked to someone once a few months ago and then they were telling me that they don't like to ask God for things they, they think it's not good to ask God for things. They, they, they kind of have a nobler view of prayer. And I said, that's just not biblical. Ask. You have not because you ask not. So ask for your bread. Ask for your physical needs. During this part, I tend to pray for, for strength for the day, for energy, that I would make my day matter, that, that I would have the, the strength and energy to, to live for God's glory. Next, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Again, this, we have to see this lens through the cross, right? We're not, we can't say our Father if we haven't trusted Christ. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, I know there, there's that Christmas song that says, Santa knows we're all God's children. But I'm sorry, this is not true. We're not all God's children. We're all creations of God, but only those who have trusted Christ. So let me just explain this really quickly. You're born bent towards evil, separated from God because of your sin. And yet God pursued you in the person of Christ. Jesus came. He lived a life you could never live. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead and he says, if you will turn and trust in me for salvation, I will save you. I will restore fellowship with you and your creator. You can step into fullness of life and and, and you you can become children of God. And so we have to see this whole prayer through the lens of the cross. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, I would plead with you that you do before you leave today. It could be a simple childlike prayer, like, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for me, and I'm asking you to save me. As simple as that. But then when we say, forgive our debts, we know that he will because of the cross, right? And, and so we're not, we're not getting saved again. We're still his children. We're restoring that fellowship. I joke about this um, a lot, but if, if I were to go home um, to Caseville and slash my dad's tires and, and punch out his windows... I mean, I'm still his kid, right? But there's not very good fellowship, okay? He might come out and start a fight. I don't know, okay? But, we're, but what, when we come and we say, God, would you forgive us our debts? We're not saying, can you make me your children again? We're his child. We're just restoring that fellowship. God, I, I blew it today. I didn't, I didn't obey your will. I didn't help usher in your kingdom in my life. Would you, would you forgive me? And notice it's also a warning, Forgive us as we forgive. In other words, forgiven people forgive. So if you're here and you're holding a grudge, please know that that's just killing you. I've said this before, but holding a grudge or or not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It's just killing you. And a lot of times they don't even know that you're holding a grudge. They're living on their happy little life and you're over here just... But but just know that that not only is that shrinking you and, and just distorting your whole life, okay? Also know that if you're not willing to forgive, I would seriously consider the warnings in Scripture that you may not be a child of God. And I know that's scary. But if it's true that God has forgiven you of all of your sins, then who are you to withhold forgiveness from someone else? I'm not saying what they did wasn't wrong. And I know this is hard, okay? And I know sometimes it takes years. I dealt with some bitterness a few years back. It was five or six years ago, and it was scary. It kind of crept up on me, and I'm like, I'm bitter towards this person, and I had to take care of it. Okay, so I don't want to scare you, but forgiven people do forgive. And that's what it says. We, for, we ask him to forgive as we forgive others. We've been forgiven. Why would we withhold forgiveness? And, and also keep in mind that when it comes to other believers... If God has forgiven them, who are you to not forgive them? Are you saying that you are higher than God? If they're a child of God, if they're a believer, then they've they've asked for forgiveness and God has wiped their debt. So who are we? I know this is hard, but I think this is helpful because it's it's killing so many people. It's shrinking us into, into small little shadows of our former selves when we withhold forgiveness from others, okay? And then the last one, it says this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So what he's saying is spare us from situations and circumstances that would tempt us to fall into the deceitfulness of sin. I pray this every day. I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, right? You guys pay me, so I'm paid to be good, right? You guys are good for nothing. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's, it's a dad joke. I had to use it. My, my dad uses that all the time. But But guess what? I still struggle daily with sin. If you don't believe me, I'll bring Shannon up. Okay, she'll be a witness. All right? I I have a lot of struggles in my life. Pride being one of them. I have to ask God, God, when I go preach today, please make it about you. I'm so prideful. I want people to shake my hand and say, good sermon, preacher. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And so I've got to put that pride to death. I struggle with sins just like you do. And so every day I'm saying, God... Don't let me me stumble into circumstances or situations that are going to tempt me to to be fallen away by the deceitfulness of sin. God, remind me that in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's a daily prayer we can pray. And so so that's a model for you to pray. Now, some quick application points as we close. You're like, more points? Wait a minute. Uh, No, don't worry. I know what time it is, okay? First of all, create your closet. Okay, we didn't read this part, but in verse 5, it says, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be like the hypocrites. And they're standing in the streets, and they're praying, and all that. In verse 6, it says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. Now, it has the idea of an inner room, so you don't actually have to go into a closet to pray. But here's the point. Have a time and a place that you set aside for prayer. Have a time and a place. That's where it starts. Right? We, we want you to pray throughout the day, but, but start with a time and a place and, and it really is special if you have a time and a place in your home. You can kind of set aside. I've, I've told you about different places in the past, um, on the couch or, or in my office or things like that. But lately, um, there's this rug in my house. And no, I'm not a Muslim, okay, but there is a rug. And I, and I go and I sit in this rug and I, and I pray through this prayer book. And it just, it's a special time. And my alarm goes off to remind me of that. that and I just go and I pray. And, and sometimes that changes. But have a time and a place. And, and that's where it starts. I always say this. What doesn't get scheduled doesn't get done, right? So it's real practical. Have a time and a place where you pray. Jesus model this for us. Where he just read a bunch of verses. He would go away into a special place at a special time normally in the morning to start his day to kind of get everything in order. And can you imagine what would happen in your life if you said every morning, I'm just going to walk through the Lord's Prayer and just pray these different petitions, personalize them, but pray through them? That could transform your life. So have a time and a place. Create your closet. Next, start with scripture. Since prayer is a conversation with God that we didn't start, it's best to begin with his word. A lot of times when you go into prayer and you feel dry, like you don't have the words, it may be because you didn't start with hearing from him. And if you're like, well, where do I start? Start here. This is where Jesus taught us to pray. So for the next month, every day, Wake up, turn to Matthew 6, read through it, and personalize it. Make a personal prayer out of this to the Lord. He gives us the priorities right here to pray for. He teaches us how to pray. I've said this before, but if you've ever kind of had to write like a personal business letter or whatever type of letter and you click that little um, template on Microsoft Word, it's like, oh, this is kind of cool. Just fill in the blanks, right? Jesus gave us a template to pray. So many people, I don't know how to pray here. Matthew 6, 9 through 11. 9 through 13, read through it and pray, okay? So create your closet, start with Scripture, and then lastly, continue the conversation. Continue the conversation. We're commanded all over the Bible to continue praying, devote ourselves to prayer, pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. And we know that good relationships don't just consist of one brief moment together during a day, right? If all I did was talk with Shannon in the morning and neglect her the rest of the day, we wouldn't have a very good marriage, and the same is true with our walk with the Lord. So carry on the conversation. What I like to do is when I read my scripture for the day, uh, one verse will pop out to me and I'll just turn that into a breath prayer that I can pray really quickly. Um, sometimes I'll use a hymn, an old hymn, like I need thee every hour. And I'll just pray that through the day. God, I need you every hour. Right now, I need you. Just, just, just continue that conversation. But the most helpful way that I've done this is I just set alarms or reminders on my phone. So I have a morning prayer, and then I try to pray at noon. um, The alarm goes off, and I stop what I'm doing. And I'm a really, like, I want to, I'm like a task-oriented person, so that's really hard to just stop what I'm doing. But I stop what I'm doing, and and I go and I pray. Not for, for like, three or four hours, just a short afternoon prayer. And then another alarm goes off at night before bed, and I pray before bed. But those are anchor points that that remind me to connect with God. And then between them, I tend to talk with Him throughout the day. But continue the conversation. And one, one last tip for free. If you're ever alone praying, pray out loud. That's one of the best advice I've ever heard. <laughs> just praying out loud because then your mind doesn't want it. So when you're driving in the car, just pray. Talk to him. I love driving in the car. I don't know how much gas I've wasted, um, which really isn't a waste. But I'm like, Shannon, I'm going on a prayer drive. And I'll just go down to the brake wall, I'll drive along the water, and I'll just talk to God. And it keeps me focused. It keeps me engaged. So continue the conversation. Last week, we looked at the Word. We saw that God revealed himself through his word, the word spoken, the word made flesh, the word written. He created you by his word. He redeemed you by his word. But this week we saw that God didn't just speak to speak. He spoke to to begin a conversation. The infinite God who created everything by speaking wants to hear you speak back, invites you to talk with him, like a child to a father. What an amazing reality. Mathis says in his book, the speaking God not only has spoken, but he also listens. He stops. He stoops. He wants to hear from you. He stands ready to hear your voice. Christian, you have the ear of God. We call it prayer. So my challenge for you today is simple. Make the most of your privilege to pray. It's a privilege. Don't take this as a religious duty. You'll you'll ruin it. It's a privilege. It's intimacy with God. It's talking to the one who created all things by his word. And it's knowing that he'll listen. He'll listen. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Okay, those of you who have kids, you know, your kids can come to you anytime, at any, at any moment, during whatever's going on. They can interrupt you, and they can talk because you love them. That's how it is. Take advantage of your privilege to pray. Christian, you have the ear of God. Let's make the most of it. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time and your word. Lord, I just ask that you would be with us now during the time of reflection. You should have your hand on us. Thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you that through the cross we have access to you as our Father. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.